0: Welcome back to the Women Crush Wednesday's podcast from New York Women in Film and Television, where we discuss current news, feature interviews from women working in the industry, highlight our incredible members, and preview upcoming NYWIFT events. I'm Janine McGoldrick, and the delightful Kelsey Marsh joins me today. Hello, Kelsey. Hi, Janine. Thanks for having me back. Oh, it's always great to have you. So, Kelsey, you have this week's Women Crush Wednesday spotlight, so tell us who's crushing it this
1: week. Well, the NYWIFT member who is crushing it this week is Kimberly Avalos. Kimberly's photography is currently being showcased at the Queens Is Family exhibit, part of the annual Photoville Festival in Long Island City. In addition to her photography work, Kimberly is also a producer editor at NowThis. She works across several partnerships focused on the climate crisis and immigration reform. A few memorable stories she's produced to date spotlight residents of Appalachia who are fighting against the Mountain Valley Pipeline, indigenous communities, and fishers in Alaska fighting against a massive mining proposal that would irreparably harm a historic salmon habitat, farmers on the West Coast losing land to wildfires, farmers who are trying to transition to more sustainable farming practices, how environmental injustice is fueling the Black maternal mortality rate, climate migration, and so much more. Links to some of these videos can be seen in our show notes and you can connect with Kimberly on LinkedIn to stay up to date on her many successes. Wow. That's fabulous. So many really important subjects she's tackling.
0: Well, congratulations, Kimberly. And if you can, everybody head over to the Queens's Family Exhibit at the Fotovo Festival in Long Island. So before we go on to discuss a local happenings, we just wanted to take a quick moment to acknowledge the tragic death of Helena Hutchins during the production of Rust.
1: Yes, our NYWIFT community sends our condolences to her family and friends and certainly merits continuing discussions of onset safety standards and guidelines, which as we know, was a key issue of the recent negotiations with IOPSI and the studios. Yes, and luckily
0: they did come to an agreement on a lot of those cases. And as you said, hopefully the conversation will continue and unfortunate things like this oh, will not continue to happen. Moving on, there's something exciting happening in New York. Kelsey, why don't you start off and tell us about that?
1: Yeah, you don't say. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, Doc NYC is happening. It's America's largest documentary festival and it's celebrating its 12th edition beginning today. Like many other festivals this year, it takes place in both a hybrid online and in-person format and runs through the 28th.
0: The lineup includes more than 120 feature-length documentaries, including 32 world premieres and 34 U.S. premieres. And some of those world premieres include films on figures such as NBA legend Kevin Garnett, uh, the recently passed rapper DMX, one of my favorites, The Rep. Pat Kruner, Dean Martin, and the late literary icon,
1: Kurt Vonnegut. Uh, what else is being shown? In the festival's Spite the Power section, Abby Epstein's The Business of Birth Control takes on the dark history of birth control, unpacking the power structures surrounding the reproductive health industry complex and of the choices the market pushes to women.
0: Wow. I definitely want to check that out. And something touching right here in New York City is a film called The First Wave, which is a look at the early days of COVID-19 pandemic uh, in New York City. I don't know if people are sick of talking about the pandemic or watching movies about the pandemic, but I think it's always interesting to see how uh, other people have dealt with it beyond our own little bubbles. So I'm really looking forward to catching
1: that one. Absolutely. Yeah, a lot of great stuff to see. Check out the full schedule at docnyc.net. And we also have a link in our show notes.
0: So now we go onwards to our feature segment. We have a terrific interview with two kick-ass women from the Netflix film called Passing, which begins streaming today. A lot of stuff happening today. Doc NYC and now this film Passing. So celebrate Wednesdays, yay. <laughs> <laughs> um, based on the novel by Nella Larson, the movie follows two Black women played by Tessa Thompson and Ruth Negga who can pass as white and choose to live on opposite sides of the color line in 1929. The film was acclaimed upon its premiere back at the 2021 Sundance Film Festival, and it's filmed in glorious black and white by actress Rebecca Hall, who's making her directorial debut, and I
1: believe she also adapted the screenplay. Yeah, the film intimately uses the notion of passing to explore not just racial identity, but gender and the responsibilities of motherhood, sexuality, and the performance of femininity. Our very own Tammy Reese spoke to two integral members of the crew who deftly recreated the Harlem Renaissance of the late 1920s New York, costume designer Marcy Rogers and production designer Nora Mendes. Take it away, Tammy. Well,
2: hello, everyone. I'm Tammy Reese with the Night With Podcast. It is a huge honor to have some amazing powerhouse women in the film industry here with us today. We have Nora, we have Marcy. Marcy is a costume designer, Nora is a production designer with the upcoming Netflix film Passing, and I'm so excited to have you both today. Thank you for your time. Thank you. You're welcome. Before we dive into this epic film that I got to pre-screen. I would love to know more about you both. Marcy, I guess we'll start with you. Um, Please tell us about some other monumental projects you worked
3: on besides Passing. A few of the projects that I've worked on was Black Clansmen. I designed She's Gotta Have It season one and two. And more recently, before Passing actually released, I worked on No Sudden Move, which was directed by Steven Sutterberg.
2: Wow. Congratulations. How about you,
4: Nora? I production-designed HBO's Betty, seasons one and two. Um, I did a movie called Topside that I got a production design award at Ven- the Venice Film Festival for, um, and I recently just designed the pilot for Kindred for FX, um, based on the Octav- Octavia Butler book.
2: Wow, you both are definitely doing it in such an inspiration.
4: Mm-hmm. How did you get involved with Passing? Um, I met with Rebecca I, almost a year before we started shooting. I read the script, and I had read the book in college and was familiar with the book and was really excited to meet with her. And so from there, you know, we went through all kinds of references and were talking back and forth, and then she was still sort of working on when production would start and wasn't sure about that yet. Probably eight months later, I got the call that it was actually happening, and, and uh, I came on board. How about you,
3: Marcy? I'm not actually, to me... um. Like Nora said before, production actually was greenlit. Funny enough, I had a I had a schedule conflict. You know, I always talk about the years had it where my schedule actually freed up, and then I met with Rebecca, presented my research, and then we went from there.
2: Wow is there any moments that you both had to like consult with each other or did you work separately? How does that work on set between a production designer and a costume designer? Um, Did you both work together in any aspect or was it totally separate things that you were doing?
4: It's all a big collaboration from the very beginning of pre-production. You know, Marcy and I were in the same office. We talked about all of our research and, you know, we met to talk about what the look of the film would be. And it's honestly between Marcy's vision, Rebecca's interpretation, Eddie, the cinematographer, the way he was going to be filming it. Um, but, you know, we did a camera test pretty early on where we tested some of our wallpapers and paint colors against Marcy's beautiful costumes. and And that was always a conversation and a collaboration. You know, once we got going, things were sort of crazy and we weren't able to talk about every little detail, sadly, but um, but but we did collaborate early on.
2: Now, Nora and Marcy, is there any personal connection
3: that you have to this film that you can share with us? I I have a personal connection in the sense where um, although she may be a little bit on me telling this, but my mother family uh She's from Mississippi. And I was telling uh, Rebecca when we were having like kind of dramaturgical background, connecting the dots, um, conversations that my mother's mother has a sister that's like that could pass for white. She and my mother, my, my grandmother, basically, and my great aunt, they didn't talk for whatever reason. And so it just was interesting to me how it trickled down it has trickled down into the African American community over over generations, to be quite honest. And it got to the point where I didn't I didn't meet my cousins that were around the same age as me until we got to high until we got to high school and they lived down the street. So yeah, thank you for sharing that.
4: And for me also, that was Marcy, um but for me. Um, I also there's passing in my family and I am fairly light-skinned and my grandmother's also fairly light-skinned and and she had family members who just disappeared and uh, you know they were at Thanksgiving one year and they were not there the next and and within our family there's a lot of bitterness and a lot of sadness towards losing a part of your family Um, and then also separately my grandmother's father, you know, my, my parents, my grandmother, they're all from New York city. And, um, my grandmother's father worked in a post office during the depression in Brooklyn. Um, and if they had known he was black, they wouldn't have let, they wouldn't have let him keep his job and they would not have let him work at the counter. And so, Mm -hmm. you know, he was not passing in his entire life. He was passing at work, you know, he went home and was living in Queens and, you know, lived sort of his, his life, but it passing for convenience is also common. And I think people don't understand that it is in a lot of people's families and a lot of people's worlds. And, um, and you just got to go back a little bit and it's there.
2: What were some challenges for you both recreating the Harlem Renaissance?
3: I mean, I think for me, I I I don't like to use the word challenge. I think an obstacle because it it, to me it has a negative connotation, meaning it it's almost impossible. But some of the obstacles that actually taught me to taught me or reminded me to appreciate the value of costuming and costume design is some of the dresses that you saw in the scene where well actually truth be told, some of the dresses that you see throughout. The, even some of the suits are 100 years old, like le- legit. And so just having the delicacy with them and you know, making sure that they were able to withstand um, wear and tear on screen um, because they are being worn. And then also recreating some of those iconic looks so that it represents the African American community.
2: Nora, what were some obstacles that you got through?
4: I mean, honestly, I feel like the obstacles helped sort of contain um, vision as a designer because, you know, we had to live within the constraints of our budget and live within the constraints of the fact that we're filming New York City in the present day, 1920s New York City. And and it was creating a world that felt realistic and was... designed per the vision of Rebecca and and staying faithful to this incredible book um but also within the constraints that we were in and so uh, also with that having shot in black and white made a really interesting constraint and it was just a way of creating a world uh, you know I don't even know how to say it it's like it's like a way of creating a world that is just a designed space, as opposed to a perfectly, you know, like historically accurate. Although it was mostly accurate, but like, like making a designed film. I think that our obstacles allowed us to lean into the design of the film even more than we naturally would have. In the black and white and the, you know, the aspect ratio allowed us to create a space that really reflected our characters. And so, you know, when Tessa Thompson's Irene is living in the interiority of her head, we've created a really spare, minimal space. And you don't feel that it is missing anything. There's not like an obstacle being overcome. It's all intentional in terms of the design, if that makes sense.
2: Perfect sense. From your perspectives, what do you want the audience to take away from watching the film?
4: Take away from watching the film. I mean, it's like being in this world, and the, in a lot of ways, Irene and Claire are the flip side of the same coin. And there's the film is about so many things, and I feel like everybody will come away with it with a different idea of what the film is about. You know, whether it's about uh, passing or race or sexuality or class. You know, all of those things are in there. And hopefully people are coming away from the film with all of those things, but also just giving these women the space to create their sort of relationship and their friendship and seeing this world of the 1920s, which I think a lot of people are ignorant about.
3: I agree. I piggyback on Nora. I think one of the things for me in particular is what I wanted was to depict how the African-American community looked and dressed during the 1920s and how there were doctors and there were um well-to-dos during that time but most importantly you know one of the things that I've said before in an interview was understanding the, the notion of people want what they can't have and Nora said it best I also said that also like I think that these women are mere reflections of one another Irene says that somebody is, and her quote was, you know, someone's, someone's passing for something, you know what I mean? And mm-hmm. so
4: mm-hmm.
3: when you understand that, you and, and that, and funny enough, as I read the script and and I just reread the quote uh, recently, um, that like hit me like a ton of bricks because, you know, you have Claire who's ethereal and free and that's how I costume designed her. And then you have Irene who's trying to, you know, she's conservative and, and whatever it is. And she's living to, to survive, so to speak. I hope that those who watch the movie understand that, you know, it's OK to live to survive. You know, as long as you stay true to yourself, whatever that means, you know, that's just a stepping stone in life.
2: What was it like costuming Tessa and Ruth? What was any memorable moments any
3: funny stories you can share with us it's so funny when people ask me that when I costume design actors um I I will say this when I first fit Tessa and as Nora said you know we were in New York City and we were in a, a small office um and so I fit her And she turned around and she looked in the mirror and she said, wow, you actually make me feel my age, the age of the character. And I said to her, what does that mean? And she said, typically, you know, she just said, I feel like a mother. That's exactly what she said. In that moment, I thought to myself, that's, you know, for for a costume designer, especially when you're first meeting an actor, that's like priceless. Because you don't have to go through the, rigor more of like well do you like this or do you like that thankfully because I had you know my own dramaturgical ideas about Irene and then the conversations that I had with Rebecca by that time I was prepared I was as prepared as possible to to fit Tessa but then when Ruth came in you know they're they're actually in person start you know like they have their own personality so when I met Ruth I had her clothing and you know she would say to me It was kind of like a free-for-all for for her, um, just based on her character. And so uh, it it was things where it it would be looks where I would put on her, and I felt like it was too much. You know, I was, like, overdoing it. And so did she, and we would scale back, and we would kind of, like, have a happy medium. And that's what you see on screen with Ruth. Funny enough, the scene that you see her dancing at the party, that wasn't the dress that I wanted to put on her. Like, that changed. That changed, like, last minute. And I had it in the her closet. It was in the back in of my office, like in a corner. And I thought, let me put this dress on her. And literally she walked to the dress and she fitted like a glove. It was crazy. And so I got her some trim and I made this belt like on the spot and she fell in love with it. it also rewarding, seeing him transform him in suits, understanding that during that era, even now, most men like 50 suits, right? So like trying to figure out how to, use the suits that were in color and then translate that to black and white was pretty cool.
2: Wow. That had to have been so amazing experience for you for sure. Nora, working with Rebecca, the director,
4: any stories you can share with us? What was it like working with her? I mean, it was amazing. She had spent so much time thinking through every aspect of the story and every detail that, um, You know, we really were on the same page when it came to researching, looking into the historical accuracy and thinking about how these spaces will look. And, you know, I'm a total nerd for the research and did a lot of time at archives and libraries and, you know, the Cooper Hewitt Museum and the New York Public Library and like looking at these actual photographs from, time, from the time and Rebecca and I early on went to the Schomburg Library in Harlem, which is just an incredible space with a photo archive that is amazing. And we talked through what these spaces would look like and it's interesting because photography at that time, there just isn't a ton of documentation of people's interior spaces. And so there are beautiful studio photos of people, you know, that are very staged and set up and purposeful. And then there's a lot of photos of exterior New York, which were very helpful. But there's not so much documentation of people's homes. And so we really had the freedom to kind of use the research that we were talking about and create a world. And in terms of broad strokes, Rebecca and I spent a lot of time talking about, first of all, how important the Redfield House period is. We spent um, almost half of our shoot filming in um, the, the Redfield Brownstone and so that was a huge part of the production design. But then also the comparison between the Redfield House and Claire's hotel room, which are essentially their interior spaces, um, and then the final scenes of the film at Felice's apartment, these three spaces are the same year, but they are all different. You're supposed to feel that difference. And the Redfield House, for example, you know, I didn't use furniture from the 1920s in the Redfield House because it's supposed to be hand me downs it's supposed to be heirloom pieces, it's supposed to be. Furniture that they bought 15 years before, it's not, they didn't go out that day and buy a house full of furniture. Um, But it was meant to be our chance to see sort of that avant-garde and the modern and the 1920s uh, art deco feel. With Rebecca, like how much time about the layering both in the story, but also of New York City in the way that it would look, so that all these things are existing simultaneously. And um, you're meant to understand that even though Irene travels in these circles of the Harlem Renaissance, she's not bohemian like Felice is. You know, Felice has a bar part with alcohol out, even though it's prohibition. and um, And you see that in these spaces, and you give these actors the space to tell the story. You know, similar to the way Tessa... Marcy was able to dress Tessa and Tessa sees her character in a different way. You know, I hope that both went into their spaces and then saw a little bit more about their character and in those rich tones of the Redfield house. And then also the sort of very like painfully white tones of the the hotel room and the tea room.
2: What advice would you have for anyone who wants to follow your career path. Just listen to this interview today. I know our listeners can hear your passion, your knowledge, commitment of what you bring to the industry, things you've done prior to passing. And now that it's about to premiere on Netflix and it's already said to just blow through the roof. Um, So many people have to be so proud of you and so inspired by you both. What advice would you have for them? Anyone who wants to be a costume designer in the industry, a production designer in the industry, what would you say
3: to them? Mercy, would you start? I would say is um, journey into costume design and and into film, television, and theater for that matter is 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 not traditional. If it's crazy, go for it. And the reason why I said that is because before this profession, I worked at Harvard University School of Law and in, in education, and I, and and I tell people you have to be very careful what you say because you're manifesting it. And I remember saying, I want to be a costume designer. I want to be a costume designer. And then I I became a costume designer. Um, But then also another thing that I would say I know possibly may not go over well is be okay with no. Because no doesn't mean that no is not definite. It could be just not right now. And that happened to me which is why I think I'm so comfortable in saying be okay with no and be okay with, be okay with constructive criticism because you're going to get it. You're going to get it before you become this person or this, this in this profession, and you're going to get it as as you're in the profession that would allow you to, which is what I remember. I believe we spoke about earlier in the conversation is to be able to collaborate because you're not coming into it from an emotional standpoint. You're going to hopefully come out of it growing and being a better artist. So whatever project or in life that you decide you want to pursue, you know, just hopefully come out on the other side better than where you you even aim to be.
4: Yeah, I want to add on to Marcy talking about collaboration, because that is the biggest thing to, to remember, that if you're making a film like this working in the film industry it is in fact a collaboration and um it is important to have your vision as a production designer and have your overall sense of the tone and what the spaces look like but it is equally important for the actor who is dressed in the costume to look beautiful in the space or not look beautiful if that's what the character calls for you know and so it is a collaboration between myself and the costume designer and collaboration with everybody in my crew. So it's like getting with scenic painters and my carpenters and all of that um, has to be translated. And it's not just me by myself designing a thing, you know, it's, you know, I went to art school and I made silent super eight films that were meant for a gallery audience. And, you know, and I was like, you know what, I think this is not the direction that I want to go in. I would like to be in a more collaborative space. That's such a huge part of the industry and it's amazing it's an amazing part of the industry I came up as a production designer working in a lot of other positions in the art department so I know the things that the other people in my department have to worry about or have to think about you know I was a set decorator for years and so I know where that collaboration lies as well and I find that is really helpful I love I love this industry. I love making films. I love the collaboration, but it is also hard. And there will be people who tell you no, and then the right project will come to you when it's meant to come to you. So you just have to believe that a little bit, even though it's hard. (laughs) And, um, you know, just just know that you will find the right people to collaborate with based on your vision. And that, you know, it can be complicated and it can be hard, but, you know, just keep going. Just keep
1: going.
2: (laughs)
4: Lastly, where can people keep up to date with you both? Are you on social media? Uh, I'm on social media. I'm on Instagram. My handle is Nora Lux, N-O-R-A-L-U-X. I'm not very active on it, (laughs) but I'm there. Okay. Marcy, how about you?
3: Um, I'm also on Instagram, and my handle is Marcy Rogers underscore? Underscore, I believe. I think it's one underscore, but you can find me. It's Rogers with a D. Um, and I'm active, I guess, when I have my moments, but I'm also on Twitter too, which I tell people, you can find me there maybe once or twice a year. Um, but, um, yeah, I'm on Instagram mainly.
4: I want to say one other thing, which is that if you are trying to come up in the film industry and you're trying to come up as, as in the art department or as a production designer, um, we are need all the women and people of color we can get in this industry so please do it and please reach out if you have questions or are in need of mentoring like i am here for it and um we just want to encourage you know our world to become more diverse because it is not and um so come and join the art department yes
2: yes a call for more women of color in the industry absolutely thank you both Mercy and Nora, congratulations on all your success here at Nightwith. We are so proud of you. We honor you. We salute you. Thank you both for your value time today. Thank you. Thank you for
4: having me. Thank you so much for having us.
0: Thank you so much, Tammy, Marcy, and Nora. What a fabulous discussion. I loved everything that they were talking about regarding collaboration, because every film is a collaboration. You know, nobody does it on their own. Exactly. And how important it was for them to keep an open dialogue through the production, especially when it came to coordinating the costumes against the production design of the set, while all of this is in black and white. And They did it amazingly.
1: Yeah, I'm really excited to check out the film and see the execution. I'm always so impressed, just as you noted, about the collaboration effort of making a film and how everyone's research and unique perspective combine together to form a beautiful product. So as I said, very excited that this film drops today and looking forward to watching this evening.
0: Yes, you should. And this was going to be my recommendation, actually, because I got a sneak peek. Not only is this is the story beautifully filmed, it's beautifully acted. Rebecca Hall does a great job. You would not think that this was her first time behind the camera. And it's just a really unique story to tell. And I think everybody should watch it.
1: And what about you, Kelsey? My recommendation this week is Succession. Season three recently started and it is appointment viewing for my husband and I. <laughs> we love the series. We love to hate every single character. I cannot say enough good things about it. I recommend this series to every single person I meet. It is so, such a, a beautifully horrific spotlight on <laughs> terrible people. <laughs>
0: but that how well, if you put it that way how could anyone resist
1: exactly right it's just such a great show well listeners if you have something great to recommend or want to share your funny salacious inspiring stories from your career in film tv and general media for our have story will tell or my first time segments please email us an audio file or written submission, which we will narrate to communications at All names and projects can be kept anonymous. Also keep your
0: comments, interview suggestions, and nominations for our Women Crush Wednesday Spotlight segments coming. If you are enjoying the podcast, be sure that you have subscribed so you don't miss an episode. Share it with your friends and colleagues and give us a five-star review because it'll help other people find us. Kelsey, thank you so much for joining me. Again, it's always a pleasure to have you as my co-host. Thank you, Janine.
1: And likewise, it's always a pleasure to be here.
0: And to everyone out there, until we meet again, keep on crushing it.